0: Coming up on this episode of The Courage to Change, sponsored by lionrock.life.
1: You get to a place of self-hatred in such a way where you're in inaction for a long time and my whole life doesn't reflect of who I was, uh, this discipline, this consistency, this thing that I built. And now I'm this do-nothing motherfucker that just sits in complaint all day. Because if you ask me how I'm doing, it's like this. It's the, the verge of suicide and decay all the time. And then you hate yourself for that because you're not even a reflection of who you are. And yourself that you know has slipped away and has been replaced with something else you don't recognize and you got to go. And, and that I think is like the overview of the story of suicide and brain injury is that you become something you don't recognize and you don't think that you'll ever be recognizable to yourself again. And it, without help, I think it's like that.
0: Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change Your Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe Blassingame, and I am your host. Today we have Tate. Fletcher. Tate is an actor, stuntman, and former MMA fighter known for his roles in Breaking Bad, Westworld, John Wick, and The Mandalorian. Tate grew up in Michigan, where he dealt with childhood trauma by engaging in whatever thrill seeking activity he could get his hands on. Early on, he found drinking and fighting as a means to meet his brain's desire for chaos. As he got older, he continued to follow his desire for a high intensity life by becoming a professional MMA fighter. Tate eventually found sobriety around the time his professional fighting career was coming to a close, which actually opened the doors to a career as a Hollywood stuntman and eventually work as an actor in movies and TV shows. Then in 2021, while filming the movie Free Guy, Tate was struck with a motorcycle while filming a stunt sequence. The accident left him with a significant traumatic brain injury, which resulted in endless therapies to try to repair the injuries to his brain. Today, Tate is continuing to work in movies and is an inspiration to all those who've had to endure so much but refused to give up. I am so impressed and inspired by Tate. He defies every judgment you might have about an MMA fighter or stuntman or the way he he presents himself. He's always shown as these bad, scary guys in, in his roles as an actor. And he is such A gentle, kind human. His journey is really, really incredible and beautiful and one of overcoming so much. And I was very, very impressed with the work that he's done around his traumatic brain injury and the cumulative injuries he sustained over his fighting career. Tate's unwillingness to give up is so inspiring, and I hope that you are moved by it as well. Without further ado, I give you Tate Fletcher. Let's do this. Tate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
1: I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we were finally able to make it work. You know, yes,
0: yes. been, been a
1: few obstacles here and there, but uh, I'm glad we're here.
0: Here we are. Here we are. Well, awesome. I want to. Uh, you know, we just recorded and, and the listeners just heard your amazing bio, but I want to hear how you describe, right? That's how the IMDB and the internet kind of describes what Tate's life has been. And I want to get how you think about your life. Like, what is it what does it feel like and look like from your perspective? It's
1: a difficult thing. You know, there's, I remember one time I was in this setting in this like a group setting. And and uh, this guy says, I'd like you to imagine what it's like before you enter a room that there's people in that they're, you know, and I thought, I can't know that. And he says, it's good to think about how you change a room when you enter it. It's one of the first times I ever had a guy kind of challenge me and talk about looking to yourself and, and be provocative about what maybe you find, you know, and, and, and kind of get an open mind other than what you think is happening. So it's tough when you're inside it. I I grew up in Michigan and I uh, grew up in a small town on the shore of Lake Huron and lived in Lansing and different spots in Southern Michigan for a while before I moved to New Mexico at like 21 years old. I just felt like I needed to get out and challenge myself and see who I was without the reflection of, my history and, and really trying to shift my life. That stuff took me to uh, St. John's College here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and where I stayed for a year. And then life just tumbled and, and a whole different course of my life kind of opened up at that time. What it's been has been like, it's been a searching since then. Uh, searching for uh, purpose, uh, for connection, for community, without knowing what those things were. You know, I feel like, I would felt like a lack for a long time and i was looking for like what that connection might feel like and when i'd get quiet with it all that would come was that you need to curate joy you need to curate a happiness of some kind because i kind of i'd come from a real depressed kind of background and so i, I think that, that that's kind of the first reflection i had into like what recovery might look like from uh from life even, you know, you look at all different kinds of obstacles that come up and what recovery is. And it's like, environmentally, what, what, are, what are the confines? What are the confines of my old ideas? There's nobody here that, you know, is a professional athlete or that uh, wrote a book or that does that limit the space of what I can see. And I don't know, I grew up, you know, pre-internet too. So it's like, I, there wasn't YouTube where there's just volumes of like experience of people that are doing things and you're going, God, that's possible for me too. And I miss that.
0: You know, you described the first 21 years in Michigan, you didn't have YouTube. It was a darker at times period of time. What did that look like for you? Would you was, your, was it a happy childhood?
1: Well, yeah, I I had a great family, you know, and everybody trying to make it work and all that with perspective of decades, you have a lot more allowance that I view that through, right? And it's also for a while it became like, you know, I'd had fractures with my father, with, you know, different parts of my family where, you know, we went for years without speaking. And i had been a terrorist to him and his name and his, I mean, it's like I was living my life trying to survive. You know, I started drinking and using drugs really young and I just kind of fell into that lifestyle of things really young and, and that had consequences for me and those around me. And I didn't know that. I thought it was just the life, you know. I didn't. I didn't know that really. Perspective is crazy. I, I grew up playing hockey. I grew up uh, fighting a lot. I was always into scrapes. I looked for adrenaline stuff. I didn't even know that that's what I was doing. I was trying to get my neurochemicals to fire and smash. And how do you do that? Well, you do it when you're doing something crazy that's under severe consequence of danger. And so you know, you can imagine what kind of life that is. And, you know, by the time I left Michigan, I you know I'd, I'd first. Gotten a, an inkling that I, I I maybe could live a different way, and so I was trying I was trying to turn that boat and into something else. It was an old idea that I didn't think I could have, but I thought, well, I can try. And all I'd known by that time is that I was resilient. You know that for whatever reason I couldn't end it, and I wouldn't die, and so here I am, and let's try, and let's try as hard as we can. Let's try to kill ourselves in the try. And I started looking towards, you know, health in those ways as soon as I got sober when I was able to put distractions away, you know, because I feel like that's what a lot of the obstacles are of trying to fill up. What is my purpose? What ought I be doing? You know, I try to fill that up with a thousand different things. And, uh, and now I just, you know, I go, God, you know, anybody that asks for help or whatever, I go, I, I hope you get all those things in spades so that you can find out quickly that that's not what you lack, right? And where is my grounding and my footing and, and my confidence that comes out of my history instead of what maybe I perceive because my perception about myself is a, is a nasty filter sometimes, right? That's what early life was like that. You know, I lost myself in books when I was really young. I got deep into mythology, into early American writers, you know, like Thoreau type, that type of thing and common sense and all those things. I was like, and so I just kind of was a deep diver into things that interested me. And so when the thing came about like, what's your purpose to be? Well, you ought to do what interests you. You ought to do what you find your joy in. And what I, what I started to learn was that folks that were happy. That I used to just, like, if you got up and you went to work nine to five and all, you're square, man. I don't know. I don't, I, I can't do that life. Like, good luck. But like, I'd see people happy. And I thought it was just my brain was different. I had no idea if people curated that. I had no idea that that was a thing that you looked towards. And then a friend of mine said recently, he says, how I'm so crazy still that I think sometimes that if I got everything I wanted, I'd be happy. As if that's not chaos. Or to give a child anything they want. Me as a six year old right now, as a grown man, I've got a six year old that'll run the show sometimes. I don't, that's not, that's not a good path. Like. (sighs) It's not the
0: worst. Yeah, we all see what that I have two six-year-old boys, and I see I see what that looks like when they get what they want. The worst days for their behavior are the days where they get what they want all day long. They saw this thing on YouTube and they called a yes day, apparently, where the parents have to say yes all day long. And my kids have, you know, begged me for this yes. Day. I'm like, that is literally a recipe for disaster. I think of kind of what you're describing and what we're describing is this like this yes life where where we think that if we get what we want the entire time, that that's the thing that's going to feel so great. But the reality is that it's much different than that. And, and curating this life, this recovery life involves days of really hard work and, and really pushing and challenging, which creates so much more satisfaction than just getting it, which I didn't know that when you're describing your childhood, one of the things that I'm wondering if you relate to, because it sounds like similar to how I was, is this feeling of terror of being bored. I mean, your childhood, you you were describing like this chaos, this adrenaline, looking for those neurochemicals. And I feel like as I've gotten older and the longer I'm sober, I realize that some of that is this fear of boredom and that the curation of this happy life requires me to be able to withstand boredom, to not create every scenario where those neurochemicals are happening and that joy and deep satisfaction are different than the like, crazy adrenaline and you're, you're a stunt man. So I think it's a really interesting dichotomy of like, I've had to learn to create this deep satisfaction and joy, but also, you know, I've figured out a way to address this need for excitement and what a perfect curation that at least sounds like to me.
1: When you start looking at all the things that happen in life and you're like, Oh, I couldn't have maybe been different. Right? It's like you're like, I was programmed like it's almost embarrassing, right? You're like, this is played out. But yeah, it's exactly that, you know? I mean, my friend has a book called Going Right, Logan Gelbrich. And he's like he, he makes a point, he makes an argument that's irrefutable about going towards your joy, about going towards passions. And if you deny that and you let fear uh, overpower that, that here's all the here's what happened. I mean, there's consequence on either side and and it's all hard. So you might as well do the hard thing that's beneficial because having high fructose corn syrup all day and saying yes is also hard in its own way but you almost don't know until the damage has occurred.
0: How did you so when you got sober what did that feel like at first for you going from this like persona and and these you know fighting and all these things did you did you feel like you lost something important to you when you got sober?
1: Sure. I mean a, a lot of things were like You know, you have a lifestyle and you're like, how do you kick a lifestyle? Um, right. This is what I'm worth. This is what I can do. This is my place in the world. And now all that's on its head. And so that thing you said about curating the moments and boredom, uh, I find in, in those times, I mean, it's it's the biggest thing. It's like, if there's a, a ill mind, a sick mind, my mind, whatever, it has this obsessive quality to think about itself. And I'm going to outthink the problems or I'm going to get the desires or or whatever the thing is. And that's madness, right? <laughs> that we reflect on and we call it thinking. I'm just ruminating on things, right? And, and it goes into disaster or whatever. The thing is, what it doesn't do is it doesn't bust a grade. It doesn't get you down the road at all. There is zero action involved. And then now I'm habitually training myself to be an inaction and to be in fear, kind of. And so that thing about a lot of people, I think, you know, they have had a, a life of chaos of whatever kind, whether internally, externally, whatever. And so that ability to not curate your life with chaos so that you can understand your place, is a, is a step you have to take. It's an old idea that you're like, could I live in peace? I mean, it's like growing up and going, I have to defend myself against the world. Eventually, you have to ask yourself question, is there anything to defend from? You know, Or am I whole in myself and under my structure of the universe that I'm supported? And that's a different kind of consciousness to walk with. And I think those are the things, these perspective shifts that we talk about. That can bring about real lasting, uh, nourish and change. The reflection, of all those things, is is where the growth is for me. But like, I don't know that till I'm past it. You know, the rearview mirror is a lot clearer than the windshield, even though it's real tiny. And I certainly can't live there. You know, I got to live in the windshield. But if I don't attend to this stuff, it gets so noisy that it'll it'll topple my cart. It's like I never ask myself what do I like until I was in my mid twenties. Like as far as like, what would you like to do with yourself, your life, your I had no idea and I didn't think I had a lot of options. So I just did the next thing in front of me that was fun. And so I picked up, you know, I, I started fighting with a group called the Dog Brothers, which was a stick fighting group, which led me into Jiu Jitsu, which I fell in love with grappling and toured the world doing that. And then I go, oh God, this mixed martial arts is coming up. And I was like, I'd like to do that. So I started fighting on Indian reservations is where the only place was where it was legal to have. And the UFC was dark in the early 2000s. And then they came out with the Ultimate Fighter Show. And some of my teammates went on and I went on. And, you know, jujitsu and, and, and uh, combat sports are kind of the, the lens I look through for what my greatest discipline has been really. And inside of that has been a worldview that comes out. Of it. That's of. You know, and that's what I tell people, whatever you're interested in, it doesn't matter. If you deep dive into the thing, you'll become so good at the thing that you'll understand other things that are hard. And so that's the other thing too about recovery is I've got to curate an open mind. And a lot of the things about whether you're a drug addict or whether you've got brain injuries or or, or whether you have uh, had a heart attack and you've got to come back or whatever the injuries are, whatever the thing is, you've got to curate an open mind that you can heal. And if you're not on your own side to heal, it's much harder. My friend Pat was telling me, you know, she says, bodies have a tendency towards healing. And I really like that because if you are really hurt, sometimes you can't get on your own side. But it's nice to know that there's forces that are aligned for you regardless of you, you know, and I, and I know that that's true. It's like I have experience with it. I didn't believe in it. I had nowhere else to turn. I threw my hands up. I go, I'll walk this way and maybe it'll work.
0: So you you go, you go from fighting, then you're training, then you go into movie work. And and as I'm sure lots of your friends joke, my husband and I literally have this joke. We're like, it's got to be in this one. Like it's going to be, yep, there he is. Uh, And then they start a
1: stopwatch how long, yeah. long do you last
0: yes there's that too there's that uh the the only one i was like okay was the uh, west world where they bash your i was oh, yeah. like okay nah that's, that was good.
1: incredible that was i got to work with this guy christian tinsley who is a great special effects makeup guy and all that and they, they made like four different incarnations in my head in different ways of the smashing which is it was wild it was a wild thing to watch that process work and how that all happened and Yes, Did everybody nice
0: who fun. like really loves and cares about you hate that scene?
1: Oh, my mom cried. She wept. She was like, she was mad that I showed it to her. She's yeah, she wasn't into yeah. that.
0: Yeah, and yeah. And then yeah, I, yeah.
1: I just died recently again on uh, the Mandalorian. I play this hero character that that ends in the end, and and uh, my mom was like, I didn't like that at all. But I was like, but it's 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 what it is, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's funny. It's I I think one of the we're watching. I think it's Jurassic Park. We're watching right. Jurassic, Jurassic Park. World. Yeah, Jurassic World, and uh, and I'm with the kids, and it's like one second of a scene and you just shoot something. And then it I was dying. It was like, it's like a, when someone, it reminds me of Danny Trejo, you know, where he's got this, Look and this thing, and if that is the you know the cast, like the typecast, it's gonna you can bet your ass it's gonna be there. And yeah, uh, it's
1: usually like me or, or or six or eight other guys that you see in the audition room, and it's like hello again, you know. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. What has that experience of being more public and having this outside admiration felt like to you? You know this. Hollywood has a tendency to be a struggle for people around ego and, and you've, you have this counterbalance of fighting and of sobriety, but did that affect any of that spiritually?
1: All of it. I mean, it's all interwoven. If you're trying to bite off hard things or new things or, or whatever that are uncomfortable, you get into questioning yourself. You don't have confidence in that arena. You have to learn the language. You have to learn how the water moves. So that's new and fresh all the time. Do you have tools with which to navigate that? And and that's the thing that you know, paying attention and, and, and being lucid is is helpful with because then you, you go and you show up and you do the good work and you take small bites and it's don't get overwhelmed but how do you curate all that? And then also, you know, in my business particularly, like yeah, I'm in the in the stunt business is how I, I got in and it's my background and I really loved it is like to go from the action of fights to go into the action of films was fantastic. And then I just have to grow myself as an actor for the last fifteen years. Since then, and, and because I play these character parts. And, and so then that grows and all that. Somebody said, I was at a Comic Con a couple of weeks ago, and they go, Boys, they're looking at kind of the encyclopedia of my work in, in pictures on the table. And they go, What a great career! You know, how'd you uh, get this career? And I'm like, I, and I just started laughing. I was like, I was just always trying to get the next job. And now you look at it and it's a career, which gives me a new perspective, right? It's like, Oh, there's solid work here because I don't know if it's going to take off or not, but I like doing it. Right. And it was like fighting in that way. I'd see guys come in the gym. They want to be George St. Pierre under the lights. They see, oh, God. and then they don't know that, you know, we're in there you're fighting, whether you've got the flu or allergies or broken toes or uh, all the things, right? You're, you're in and you're moving in the gym every day. And that's a consistent, disciplined regimen of your life as a fighter, because that's what it is. And your diet, everything follows that. And those guys don't want to do that. And so then I asked the question of, do you like combat sports as an athlete? Or do you just want to be called a fighter? These are different things. I mean, every young person goes through it. You know, you're 12 years old. Fuck, you ought to know karate and Spanish and ballroom dancing and all that. And if you don't, you're just going to have to posture like you do. Or you're going to have to get after it for an interminable amount of time that doesn't seem like you'll ever, you know, it's like it's the first time you have to kind of get faith in and go, okay, I'll try. And I think that's the same way that I had to transfer into acting is you're going to go into auditions and you're going to get told 150 times, no, and they won't even tell you no, you'll just, they'll say, thanks for coming. And then you'll know if somebody else is playing that part later that you didn't get that part or whatever, right? So do, do, do you like getting told no? Or do you like the auditions? Do you like the opportunity to do the work? And, and so I like the opportunity to present the work. And then I put my mind there because if I get like anything else, I get caught up in the outcome, I destroy my presence to be able to deliver work.
0: Right, that actually brings us to the to the TBI conversation. A bunch of things that you said about showing up, doing the work, and that <laughs> that all your your career has been concussive, right? And okay, so then you know you get job by job, which turns into this cool career. You're sober a long time, and talk to me about when you started to realize that maybe you had done some brain damage.
1: Yeah, it's an awful trick. I laugh at the folly of it. It's, I, so the first time I ever know that like when I knew I was hurt at the time I was in a stick fight and I got uh, just a big overhand right over the top of my head and it dropped me to my knees and I was flashed out. And then this is the crazy part is that all I thought was. All these people are watching you right now. And I was able to dive double leg the guy and I was able to beat him. But after that, for a month, I would lay on the mats to train and I would just spin like crazy and I couldn't be in certain positions. And it lasted a month, two months, and it went away. And I just lived my life. I didn't know anything about concussions. I had no idea.
0: How long ago was that? That, that...
1: Oh God, I was I was probably twenty seven years old or something like okay. that. And so and now I'm 51 right and so and that was the first time that i remembered that i knew i was hurt i'd been concussed before but i I, it got lost in the wash of the chaos right that was the first time and i never thought about it again really after that you know much in the way we don't think about little kids when they bump into each other in the hockey rink or whatever and then they're dizzy we're like ah look he's got the spins or whatever and we don't really see that that's damaged his brain he'll forever be changed like we, I'm not saying it'll be horrible, but that's changed. I've been knocked out, I guess, twice in uh, competition. Never thought about it, and I get back in the gym right away. I mean, everybody I knew did. That's just what our culture was. You know, you lose on Saturday night, you're back there on Monday because you've got to beat the shame off you, get better. God damn it, I got to work. I didn't work hard enough. Maybe I don't know. And then maybe somebody will come up, coach or something, want to hey, maybe take a few days off or whatever. You know, maybe you can even be thankful for them caring, but you can never do that you're back in on the day, you know? I mean, so there's never time to heal. And we bring up imaginary times to heal in the fight world and take 90 days suspension. And then you can, you know, it's like, it's insane. There's no way to test it. There's no way to even know if you're the athlete, you know, then I got hurt again, just to get everybody caught up, I guess, is on uh, a movie called Free Guy in 2019. I was knocked unconscious for five minutes. Motorcycle was coming down some stairs and, and hits me and I go backwards and down the steps. I just went straight back, straight to my head, like 12 feet back and down. That night I was able to go to dinner. The next they got increasingly more uh, confused. Like I didn't know how to pack my bag. A girlfriend started looking for care for me and, Found hyperbaric chambers were helpful. Joe Namath uh, wrote a big protocol about it because he was told he had early onset Alzheimer's at 50 years old. And he disagreed and he thought if I could get oxygen and blood in the deeper recesses of the damaged tissue, maybe I could help myself. And, and he did. He found he did. And it, and it was helpful to me. And so that was the first thing that I started looking towards. But like I couldn't, I, I had neurogenic tremors. I was stuttering. I, I just knew I'd be homeless because that's what I see the guys on the street doing. I didn't know if I'd ever take a job again. I didn't know I could get better. I sobbed every day deep, just n- nurturing big tears for hours, right? every day for a couple of years. Couldn't go to the grocery store for a while. Uh, We would drive to the hyperbaric place. I'd have to have a hoodie on, glasses, and I'd be looking at the floorboards. Even if we're going five, 10 miles an hour, if I would look up, it's so weird to explain. If I look up, there's too much information coming. A tree, car, a fire hydrant, and and I would crash. I'd never been in such a vulnerable state and that lasted for, like I said, years. You get to a place of self-hatred in such a way where you're in inaction for a long time and my whole life doesn't reflect of who I was. Uh, this discipline, this consistency, this thing that I built, and now I'm this do nothing motherfucker that just sits and complaint all day. Because if you ask me how I'm doing, it's like this: it's the, the verge of suicide and decay all the time. And then you hate yourself for that because you're not even a reflection of who you are and yourself that you know has slipped away and has been replaced with something else you don't recognize. And you got to go. and And that I think is like the overview of the story of suicide and brain injury: is that you become something you don't recognize. And you don't think that you'll ever be recognizable to yourself again. And it, without help, I think it's like that.
0: How long do you think you lived, you know, like that building and how did you manage not in those moments to not take your life?
1: You know, it's a hard thing. I had suicidal ideations at nine years old, right? So it's not like a new story, but this was different in in a, a different kind of hopelessness, I guess, because I'd had so much hope for so long. I mean, it was like a real crash. It was like a, it was like an evil trick of like, it's like, here's all this taken away. You can't hold space anymore. So I was... Talking to a friend of mine that I don't talk to a whole lot, but you know we're close. And I'm—I mean, my friends that are my friends, I'm honest. And uh, he goes, "So what's up? What are you doing?" And I go, "I oh, just nothing." I go, "Yesterday, I guess, just drove around in the truck a little bit with Hank, my dog, and uh, looking for courage to shoot myself in the chest." And and then I go, and then I'm getting something to eat, going to watch Netflix. And what are you up to? And then we hang up, and I don't really remember what happens, you know, in the conversation. But then ten minutes later, I get a text from my friend Lisa that uh, says, "You got to contact Shane, her husband, who's at a treatment center right now." And I go, "Okay." God, that's weird. I don't, and I couldn't put together that, you know, they're best friends. And so I went to this, uh, I got scheduled to go the next day to this brain treatment center called braintreatmentcenter.com. And they do uh, MERT therapy and MERT is, they do an EEG of your head and they measure the wavelengths and see what are in collusion and what are in obstacles of one another. And they try to uh, get those in more alignment. And they do that by shooting magnets in your head at a certain frequency. And so it's just you're sitting in front of this machine that shoots magnets in your head for a half hour a day for a few weeks. And, um, and that's the thing. Before I go, I get off the phone. I've scheduled it. My mom comes over to say goodbye and all that. And she says, I'm so glad that you got her tape." And I, I'm at the end. And I go, oh, you got to tell me more, mom. And she says, uh, I've just seen you darken for the last 10 years, little by little. Just She says, I can't put my finger on it. But just And I go, Mama, it's felt like a dark cloud's coming for, for years behind me. And I just think of that as, as brain injury. But the thing is, is like when you're hurt, it skews your perception of the world because your mind is how you see the world. And if your mind is tilted, you don't know it's tilted. But my mom could see. And I had an eerie foreboding. And so then, uh, I, you know, about the third day of these treatments... My depression was lifted like a cloak that I'd worn for my whole life. And I go, God, that's weird that that's absent. And I was in the shower when I noticed and I was just smiling. I was like, how crazy. And then I go, just get it together, motherfucker. Clean up. Let's go. You got a day to do. You know what I mean? Because the other thing is, is you don't want to put too much stock in it because your hopes get up. It's like the wave goes out. I went there three times in the last three years, three weeks at a time, usually. And it's real helpful. And it's part of the deal. You know, for me, uh, lifestyle habits are the big, big part of the deal, just like any other kind of recovery. And so I have to schedule my day so there's not bored time to where I can rely on my head you know, And then during that recovery, the last few years, it's like, I would just weep because it became apparent to me just how long I'd been hurt and what I'd been carrying. And I just didn't have any idea. It's been all that. It's been, you know, like I say, I'm like, I'm grateful for every knock. I'm grateful for all of it because without it, I wouldn't have perspective that I have now. And I'm grateful that I was able to get some help. There's no help at all in Western medicine. You know, I went, it's Disney. And you know, I've got good insurance. I've got, right. there's not better insurance I could have. And there's zero help. They say, uh, take fish oil for eight months. And if you're not better, Come back and we'll give you uh, Alzheimer's medicine. And I go, you're telling me to kill myself. I said, what about hyperbarics? What about, and they go, we don't do any of that. And so it becomes cause prohibitive because you're out of pocket to do whatever you can. So I'm glad I had a couple of nickels, but then I felt a tremendous guilt because I knew guys that were hurt that had nothing. And it's like, and you're alone in that. And you're already alone even if you're around people you love. Because there's not an acknowledgement of what's happening. Nobody can understand that, really. The first guy that I met that understood it, really, that he just warmed my heart. And I go, oh, God, maybe I could get help was a guy named Dr. Dan Engel. And he'd had a bunch of severe concussions and he'd had recovery from that. And he was talking in just the language that I... It was putting words to what my experience was. It's one of the frustrating parts about things is like, if you don't have words to express it, it's a whole other kind of prison cell inside you. And you just this... A silent scream that you can't get out, and you feel like you'll explode. And so that that relieves the pressure when you can get around people that know. And there's and there's people that know. And I think people that have been hurt are eager to help uh, in, in conversation in whatever way we can. I know I am.
0: It's a testament to. So one of the things that I always say when I talk about recovery, any kind of recovery, because I on this podcast we talk about all different types of recovery. And what I say is, you know, there are a couple things that are non-negotiables, and one of them is community. And I don't really give a shit who or how or what type or whatever, but the community community that that you build that can understand and if you can find a community that puts words to your experience that releases a pressure like you're talking about it's so important to the healing process and it seems like well how the hell is someone talking about it and someone knowing it going to be so healing for me I've just had this like horrific injury and accident but the reality is that there is Healing in someone else describing something you've been unable to put words to.
1: And the sadness is there, but you know, you're oftentimes not alone, and that's valuable. And to give time time takes a long time to heal. And then, what's my job to be inside of that? How, how can I create a space where that can occur? Because I can create a caustic, chaotic community around me or a vibration around me, the space around me, the garden which nurtures me. I can make toxic or I cannot. And I can look towards nourishing that. So am I creating the best space for that natural growth that I don't have to do anything for? Just hold the space for, can I do that? And that becomes the job of, I go, God, let it unfold and, and, and let me be strong enough to, to be able to carry the weight of it, whatever that is. And again, you know, I'm either going towards my obstacles or I'm going away from my obstacles. I'm going away from my, I'm looking at comfort, thinking that that's salvation. What a folly, what a folly to think comfort is salvation. It's never where I found any growth or nothing that lasts, right? And I didn't know that. And so now that I know I can do better. So much of it's just getting me out of the way of me, you know, to, to let yes. magic
0: happen. Yes, I do. I know I have that same problem. One of the things I was thinking about too, as you're describing your brain injury is how a lot of trauma for people can actually show up on the brain as a brain injury. Um, and this is something that as we do more and more brain scans, when we look at trauma and, and, and people's brains actually doing these PET scans and, and the research around it, we can see that trauma has a similar effect as as a traumatic brain injury there are some people where trauma they can't tell the difference between a car accident and trauma and so how many people are living in some you know on this spectrum some state Of trauma where they, where it's life is too much. They have the proverbial hood on over their eyes and and the glasses and, and just trying to get through the day and it's just crawling out of your skin and why and all the things you were talking about with none of that bravery training, with none of the sobriety training, with none of the tools like, hey, if you don't find the answer here, keep looking. And I hope that if people are listening and they've had trauma and they and they haven't had a brain injury, that they're they're thinking about it in that perspective and also the likelihood that if you. Ha- were using drugs and alcohol for a long time, the likelihood that you actually did have some sort of concussion or or brain injury or or hockey dizzy situation is very high. And that too can have effects on people's depression. Even many years after they get sober, you build this life, you're sober. And then this deep depression starts coming in and you don't know what to do about it. And you feel like, well, I've done all this work. Maybe, maybe I'm just broken.
1: Yeah. There, I mean, a couple things come up for me when you say that is how many guys that are hurt. The first thing most people do. And I mean, I'm so glad that I don't drink because that was one of the first things they said is that drinking and a brain injury is another brain injury now. And I know so many people that just curate their pain and their loneliness and all that through pills. I mean, because that's the answer that the medicine, I mean, it, that's, right, what that's what they gave them. Gives, yeah. you know? And so, I mean, God, I went for a colonoscopy, which is a side topic. But I go, so what are, they're gonna jack my arm and I go, What what do you what are you gonna give me? And they go, Oh, Brissette and Fat and I go, Fat I go, what are you gonna do to my I am gonna be awake? And they go, You're not gonna take anything? I go, No, I'm gonna be awake. Like what are you gonna do? And and it was nothing. And I joked through the whole thing. We're looking at, you know, my top five picks and all that. And but I thought, here's what we're trying to culturally. I have to be my own advocate against people that are trying to help me in the medical community. You've gotta be your own doctor. You've gotta be your own you've gotta be your own researcher. If you're not your own advocate for your own health then you're believing something. Somebody, you might be at grave risk, and and we need doctors. I'm not saying all that. I'm just saying there's a perversion that's happening that um, we need to be careful of.
0: I do a lot of like case management work for for various people who are looking to get into treatment, or they're they're going to do like a series, and um, and I'll get you know I'll talk to all the like all of the physicians, all of the providers, everybody, all the treatment centers, all the different levels of care. Because I've worked in the industry a long time, it is terrifying to me that there are people going through the system without the advocacy, even our own treatment, whatever, even even people who theoretically are taking care of mental health, even with all people who all have good intentions. I come across so many things every single time, regardless of intentions, where I'm like, Whoa, 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 whoa! Explain to me why we're doing that. Oh, well, we just said blah 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 blah, and this and is what our
1: protocol. Yeah, that's They're our. This is our, our standard our of care. Extreme thing. This is just how it is. This it's is our standard me, care. I go,
0: but these are people who know about addiction, who treat addiction every day. Who you know? I said to I recently I I had a family member who I was I was helping who I've been case managing and and they they were like, well, we we put him on benzodiazepines, we put him on a benzodiazepine, you know, and he has all sorts of stuff, and I, they put him on a benzodiazepine for anxiety and i said oh okay can you explain to me is that every day or is that as needed every day three times a day i go okay this is a place where they go they they you know they deal with addiction and other things and i, I said can you explain it to me i said what other things have you guys tried nothing they hadn't tried any like some people that's all they could do fine whatever they tried to ask up.
1: them even what else could you try they wouldn't know anything they've only been trained in this one lane this is our answer this is what we need to sell them it's insane. And the thing you're saying too about trauma, I don't want to forget. I don't know about that. And that's very encouraging about what you're saying. They're looking into that for me with what isn't covered for me because I never, until I had this setback, I never looked at anything that I walked through in my life as sticky. And I had no idea. It, the thing I walk through when I'm 15 or 22 or whatever affects every relationship I've ever had in my life since then. And I have this huge blind spot about it that people might have been screaming at me about. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm not present to it at all. This self-obsession, quiet part of the mind that is a blind spot to me, but not you. And I start looking at traumas in a different way. And what it also does when you said how many people you know, are afflicted with this kind of thing? Who is not? It's like you look at what's happening everywhere. So then I go, how do I curate myself in this? Or there's trauma abounding. And it gives me a hell of a lot more allowance for everybody around me because everybody's carrying it. And I was telling my friend yesterday, I was like, you know, as soon as I can understand that I'm the guy that's not using his blinker and I'm the guy screaming at the guy not using his blinker, I'm all the guys. I've been capable of being all the guys. I can breathe a little easier. you You know what I mean? It's like, you know, every dog that barks, you don't have to, you don't have to scold and fight. You know, it's just, this is what it is. We're in this one room school room where there's PhDs and kindergartners and everybody, and everybody's growing and rubbing elbows against each other and trying to figure it out. You know, and when I can look at that and, and know that that's the truth instead of somebody's doing something to me or this or that, I'm in this experience. And when I put my life there, it's like, that's the best place to be. All the other stuff, like whatever the job is, or it's all wallpaper. Because that's not the thing that curates my soul, my balance, myself, so that I can go to sleep at night and wake up feeling like I'm a part of this, as opposed to what a lot of the stuff that I've had to recover from is like, I'm isolated, is all the stories I tell myself. I got to push the old ideas away. Am I willing to think that there's a new idea that could come? And if I'm not, I'm in danger.
0: And it changes, which is also another piece of that, right? Because when I, one of my my sobriety mentors, he always says, you have to update your recovery. The recovery you had, you know, 17 years ago, actually might not be the recovery you need today. And and I, I, I've had doses of this experience. And then I had kids and fuck, what a dose of your recovery now is going to look different. The work you've done, the work you have have new work to do. You have new lessons to learn. You have new perspective shifts. You're going to be a new person. You are physically, cellularly a new person. You are going to have new thoughts on the world and all this stuff. And I got to tell you, I I was, I don't know how other people do it, but with sobriety, I was able to move through that. But it, it was, it felt like I didn't know what was going on, who I was. And it's taken me six years to be like, okay, this person, and this kind of feels joyful. And this is kind of what I think I think. And maybe I'm not going to judge everybody. And maybe I don't care if the mommy cartel comes for me. And, you know, it's 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 this like you said, like your your perspective is changing. And my sobriety, at least in order for me to continue to stay sober, I have to keep growing. It's not I'm not done
1: course and and i think that the thing too about like taking on motherhood so here's this new mantle and title that you carry right and then there's like i don't know how to do it and then there's the imposter syndrome or the it, but, but it's not it's happening it's here and so like i can't there's no avoiding it however you're being right now is not forever that we are in this transient place of growth and that if anything i'm seeing a snapshot of who ashley is right now it's certainly not the whole breadth of her life right and so to think I'm, it's, it's, it's all that stuff and and right. it's like there's an openness in that. There's that breath of the spirit where it's like, you're not separated. The only thing that I can do is alienate myself. That's the worst thing I can do as a person. It's the worst thing that we do societally to people. You know, you go to prison and if they want to punish you when you're in prison, when you're with rapists, murder, everybody, is they put you alone in a room.
0: Yeah. Isolate and, and
1: we do that. I do that to myself. Yeah. And so in that thing, you know, I think if I can't do anything else, I go outside and, and I go and I smile and I say hello to some people. And it fucking changes me. And I don't, it's the last thing I want to do. You know, there's this big thing too. There's all this talk about like, you can't love anybody, take and love yourself and all that. And there's all these things that are paradoxes. There's sure, I can see that that's true. If I really loved Tate, I'd be a much better partner. I would show up in a much more productive. And I don't, I'm not always a fan. I'm trying to, struggle. you know what I mean? There's all of that. In, in that, it's like, I don't have to love me to love you. And it's like, I, I learned that by being a service to people. I could show up with love and integrity for others, regardless of how I felt about me. And that could give which me a little builds. bit of a boost of esteem to do the next thing. And that becomes habitual if I if I let it, if I have smart feet. I got to train my feet to be smart because if I let my head lead me, it, it doesn't get me down the road very hard if I'm dealing with all these traumas and things like that. And so that becomes a whole nother conversation. Yes.
0: I just want to echo that, which is that it's huge that I had no self-esteem when I got sober, even though I thought I did. And I was like, I think I'm pretty good looking and funny and smart. So there, that's Self-esteem, and I didn't know that that wasn't self-esteem. And in order to build self-esteem, we do esteemable acts. And in order to do esteemable acts, we have smart feet. They take us where we need to go, regardless of how much our head is protesting. And it's it is one of the most valuable tools I have had in my life that has changed every perspective I've ever held and created real self-esteem.
1: Yeah. And so in in culture now, there's like a big, you know, a lot of my friends are like these hard drivers, like go get them. And we're going to start sanctuary resorts for people to go and have these workshops and all this stuff. And, And there's this big war cry of, uh, If it's not a fuck yes, then it's a no. Yeah, yeah. Really? I mean, that's true too. I get it. I understand the intention. There's
0: a place for that, yeah. But
1: that other side of it, I never say fuck yes to jumping in in the ice bath. 40% of the time, I don't say fuck yes to going to hit mints or to train or do anything that's good for me. But I do that thing because it's a non-negotiable. And so there's all of that. You know, it's like where we have these hard line phrases that we tell people that are maybe have two or three decades of experience or something like that. And they're like, oh, well, fuck, that's, yeah, that guy said that. And and it's like all these things, even if they're 100% true, they're still partial truths. It's like when I look back over my life and I think I know something today. Well, how many times have been wrong? Been wrong a lot. I got to consider that right now today, I'm wrong. I got to have a loose mind to have the new idea next time for what serves me when I'm in that part of the room. And I think that's the best we can do. And then we have some allowance with that. We have these guiding ideals and principles and go, okay, I'm attached to my growth, to my health and that of the community around me and my relationship with this universe or something like that. You have whatever your guidelines are. And then we walk and then we fuck up because that's what walking is. And then we learn how to adjust while we're on the path. But we got to have the path that we mark. We got to have the lighthouse that we look towards.
0: Yep. And we and we think about, you know, we give toddlers, we give people learning to walk so much space, you know, they fall and we're like, get up. You got this. You know, I never once said to my toddlers who were learning to walk, you know, what the fuck you can't You're walk. Not gonna get this. Yeah, like this is going to carry you forever. Yeah, yeah, it never occurred to me, or someone maybe who's you know relearning to walk. You're you're pulling for him. That is a metaphor to to how we can be in other spaces, like that ability to admit we were wrong and and to embrace the lessons that come with that error of of thinking before I forget, I want to jump back to one thing you said, which was about isolation, alcoholism, addiction breeds an isolation. And I just a funny quip here, which is that in the, at the black sites during the in, in Afghanistan, they uh, had Two forms of of ways that they tortured people. And I find this akin to motherhood. So the first way was isolation. They put you in a box and whatever. They're waiting for you to confess to all the things you may or may not know. And the second way was they turned on baby shark. Swear to God. They turned on baby shark as loud as they could. Are you familiar with Baby Shark?
1: Is that a kid's show?
0: The kid's song. So it's, um, you know, our version of like Raffi. So Baby Shark, they turned it on and they played it 24-7 while you were in a room alone to the point where the makers of Baby Shark found out about it and wanted royalties for every... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, which is a whole other like capitalism America especially. But kids bring you to the most elementary yet most primary basic understanding of humanity. And it's it's been such a great part of my recovery to come back to like just the basics of what it is to be a human, to ask questions, to explain things and and not get so ahead of myself. Because when I get ahead of myself, I'm the least happy.
1: Yeah. Did you ever see a book called uh, Everything I Need to Learn, I Learned in Kindergarten? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like stuff like that. It's like, here's these basic things that are so pertinent to my very life, right? That is the foundational stuff of happiness and purpose, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. It, your story is amazing. I so appreciate your time. Uh, I know you're busy, and you curate all the joy in your life. And um, and <laughs> I'm trying. And I, I'm, trying. You know, I'm making a comeback. I love it. I love the comeback. And, uh, I I look forward to seeing you in lots more combat scenes and, and, (laughs) uh, and, and movies and stuff. And, and just to see what this next chapter looks like for you with your, your brain recovery. And if there's any way I can be useful or helpful in that, do not hesitate to let me know.
1: Yeah. I'm just, I'm looking to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm able to participate more and, um, and feeling ambitious to do that, which is nice, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing more of these and and just to, to restarting my own podcast and, and and kind of putting out, you know, for a long time, you don't want to talk because it is a heartbreak and, and you go, is what I'm doing hurting me or helping me? I don't know. I just am at the end and I'll try anything. I, I feel like I have a better way to express that now. And I'm real grateful. And th- thanks for the opportunity to be here with you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, if, you're, if you're ever in LA, I uh, would love to see you. Take care. Please let me know if I can ever be useful.
1: Same. Same to you. All, All right.
0: right. You take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Real talk. Do you agree that Baby Shark is a torture tactic to get state secrets?
2: Uh, If I was like drawing up a really creepy place to be, it would be in the dark with like lights flashing by myself in a cage. And they're they're blasting Barney or Baby Shark at me. That would be because there's no escape. There's no escape.
0: Was there escape when your child was playing it? Because there wasn't any escape when mine were.
2: I was literally thinking that the whole time because I had never really the analogy of like in prison, even the worst, you know, offenders of whatever their their punishment is to take them and put them in a room by themselves. And I was like, wow. So, yeah, I was sleep deprived. Mhm. Correct. Baby oh, that was the other piece. Yes. Over and over again uh-huh. and alone in yes. it other than my wife. So yeah, I I mean I went kooky pants for sure. Pants. Like yeah. for real. I told you the story before, but I had a moment one night where my son was waking me up every 15 minutes for mm-hmm. a whole night. I had like given Cassie the night off for some I think she had a rough night and it's like I got it. Yeah, every 15 minutes he woke up woke me up which was just enough time for me to fall back asleep just barely and then he would wake me up again and this was you know months in and I was not okay and I just I just remember I was like bouncing him and I just went oh I've been compromised and I just like put him <laughs> I put him down in his bed and I walked into my bathroom and I just punched myself in the face as hard as I could <laughs> 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 was like, oh ow, why did I do that? Why oh did I do <laughs> why? Like oh. right in the eye socket too, just like bing. And I was like, Oh, dude, why, why, why? But like you <laughs> fully really compromised. You're crazy. You're just crazy.
0: So no, it I it is it is no j ju- when I heard that, when I heard that they did that, because I knew about the sleep deprivation and when I was being sleep deprived, I was like <laughs> I know why this is a torture method, because I would tell you absolutely every (laughs) secret I've ever known right now. If you were to tell me that you'd give me sleep, like hands down, don't fucking tell me anything. I will absolutely squeal if you sleep. It's just not even CIA. If you're listening. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure you are going to recruit me, but now you know better. Okay, so there's that. So, and then there's the isolation, right? You're, you are very isolated in the beginning, a typical, you know, these days and age. But then I heard also <laughs> that you have, that they were doing kids songs, particularly Baby Shark and Barney. When that came out was that the companies wanted royalties for every time they played because they did the math. I swear to God, look it up. If you Google this and you look at the YouTube videos, all of the parents who are new Casters are giggling because they're like, see, it is absolutely proven <laughs> to be torture used by the military. And now they want royalties. They've done the math on how many times, and then they did the math on how many times. They had played the songs and how much money it would be, and just the sheer amount of times that they had played. I was like, you guys, that is absolutely, absolutely enhanced interrogation. I, I think I'd be like, please waterboard me, please waterboard me. <laughs> like, just fuck it. I, you know what? At least I could, at least I'd believe the end was nigh. Like that. That I. Oh, but it does. You know when you compare all of these situations to what ways of when you look at like ways of torture, right, the ways that that the human mind is taken to the brink of wanting to destroy itself, you see isolation, you see addiction, you see repetition, you can't get an idea out of your head, you can't get a thought, you can't get a behavior. You want, you know, whether it's obsessive compulsive when you want to stop a behavior, but you can't, whether that's touching the, the handle of the door or it's drinking. And when you are drinking or using or were you in addiction, your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because nobody wants to be around you. And you don't want to be around anybody because you also know that you're toxic at a certain point, And it just, the walls start closing in. Another piece of this too, is that for family members, for parents and other family members, their worlds start closing in as well because people can't relate to them. And that's where going to these support groups comes in handy in terms of other parents who are dealing with it or listening to and relating because you also feel like you're losing your mind because you're going, your world is getting smaller and smaller. People are like, well, you should just take away the car or you should just stop whatever or you should everybody's, you know, whatever it is. And then when you get into a room with a bunch of parents or spouses or whoever it is, who've actually experienced what it's like to have a loved one circle the drain you know with their addiction and they say things that really explain how you're feeling now you feel a little less alone even though they haven't immediately solved the problem at hand. And there's just so much value and healing to that that I think people underestimate.
2: I'm just really thankful that Tate was able to find that, find that community piece because I can't imagine to feel that disconnected from sort of the real world and from your abilities and from all those sorts of things like that feels like you're sort of trapped in your own head. Like aside from, you know, not wanting to do things because of all the the vertigo kinds of things that are happening for him and whatever like you, of course you don't want to go out and experience that but then to just like have so many faculties and things sort of taken from you and especially I have to imagine for somebody who has inherent power in the world right they've yeah. been able to walk through the world in a particular way for so long to be sort of trapped in your own mind in your own house and you're and feeling like you're the only one in this experience and that there's nobody who has anything for you like it's unbelievable to me it's 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 such a i don't know how it pr- i mean again i'm a broken record i'm blown away by every story we tell i really am cuz i always just go i don't think i got that i don't i think I, <laughs> I don't think i don't think i have the gene but man i was just so impressed cuz i can't imagine you know what it would feel like to undo that how do how you find your way out of that situation
0: i thought you know how many people are going through the world Having the experience of going, I mean, I know for me, and this is, you know, different, but the same, which is that I, when I remember people talking about back pain, you know, oh, back pain, oh, back pain. This was, you know, before I was 27, where when my back went out for the first time. And now when people talk about back pain, I, I just, my heart breaks for them. And, you know, but I, I didn't know. I mean, when people would be like, oh, my back, my back, my back, oh, that back injury, I just really didn't know what that meant. And so Tate's entire persona, his personality, you know, presence, whatever, it all is one of, you know, and of course in this moment, I'm sure he has his moments as we all do, but it is a very humble human being, then forced himself to regrow and to keep going and to tell the suicidal thoughts and ideations and the the isolation and all the things that, not today, Satan. And I have just so much respect for that because I've, I've been in moments of that and it's, it's really a lot harder to do that than it is to just give in to the perspectives. And, and a lot of the time when I'm giving into the perspectives, the consequences that I'm just really scared. It's I, I don't kill myself. I don't. It's just like a daily consequence. I'm just scared. Everybody around me is affected by my shitty mood. It, it's not life or death. It's just wasted time. And so here's an example to me when he's describing like basically like it is the fear helping you. You know, have you ever grown from from the safe? What did he say? A lot of toxicity can grow in comfort.
2: Oh, man. Yeah, and I was like,
0: eh, "Why did you say that? I needed to hear it today, and I didn't want to." <laughs> you know, like that, like, but that's, you know, that's the. I was like, "Yeah, fuck, yeah," and I am constantly striving to be comfortable, and I'm I growing comfort. <laughs> Do you grow in comfort?
2: I uh, yeah, exclusively. Exclusively. Yeah. I well I have like a it's a bedroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it sounds like a bedroom, but it's a bedroom. Like it's a room full of beds.
0: Beds, yeah.
2: Right. So it's like I don't want any like hard edges or like discomfort. So like it's nice sheets on all the beds, all the walls, all the ceiling, covered. I have Oh, it's a padded room. Well, you can say that if you want. And I I am in a restraint of sorts. But yes, I have somebody who brings me all my meals. No, I I, he said so. I mentioned it to him off air, but it was like he just you could tell there's just so much wisdom that he has. And I have to imagine a lot of that was sort of hard fought wisdom and things that he had to discover along a really challenging road. But man, the stuff that he's brought back from such a dark place was, I mean, I was jotting down things like a madman. I was just like, oh, I got to remember that. There was so many little things that I was like, oh yeah, man, he's so right. Like I have been in that lately, haven't I? And the thing about the the soil and you can make the soil toxic for the other people. And, oh God. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Was like, that was good too. It's not um, just my
0: toxic soup. I've got to share. Right. It's like a big swimming pool. This is how it is, right? It's like a big swimming pool. And I'm like, well, if I take a shit in this pool, it's (laughs) my pool. And I'm the only one. It's the shits right next to me and whatever. But I don't realize I share a pool with the whole house. And I just took a shit in the pool Mm -hmm. every day. And (laughs) now we all have (laughs) GR. And that's how that analogy was retired.
2: (laughs) uh And the, I guess the only like thing that we do want to apologize for this episode, though, is that now when you watch any movie with him in it, like you're gonna feel empathy maybe for a character that you weren't supposed to.
0: Yes, hundred percent.
2: And that's a hard that's a hard thing because he's he's in a lot. He's talented, um but you are not gonna he's feel the a same. They're gonna go, oh god, but Tate. I, oh, he seems like such a great guy. Yeah.
0: In the Equalizer, he tries to kill Denzel. Mm. Did you know that Denzel's name is Denzel?
2: No. That's how he says it, Denzel. Do you know Oprah spelled Orpa? her real name? No. Yeah.
0: Oh, I was like, I'm like, I don't think that's true. I'm spelling it in my head. Uh,
2: or O-R-P-A-H is the way it's really spelled. Really? Orpah. Yeah.
0: How, how did she, why did she drop the R?
2: It's there. Or why did she places. move this?
0: Why did she move the R?
2: I don't know. Just sounded better.
0: Great. I like it. And uh, Orpa, Denzel. Orpa,
2: and Denzel. Denzel.
0: Yeah, he's in Sicario. I mean, I, it really is a thing where Dak and I watch movies, and if there's like a bad, menacing character who's, or like a military group or SWAT team, we're like ten, nine, <laughs> eight, seven. <laughs> it's really, I mean, uh... it, I, it's really funny, and and it, you know, it's it, it's great to see people. I really do appreciate seeing people who, you know, it's fun to see people who do well and also are really good people right? It's it's hard to admire people who are shitty. E- even if they're good at something and you're like, that guy is kind of an asshole.
2: Yeah, we can confirm even off air. Great guy. Solid. That's all we can say. Fantastic human.
0: Yep. And now I know I need to go get a nice bath and perspective shift myself and not shoot for the comfortable.
2: I, yeah, I literally, when he was like, I don't want to do these things 40% of the time, I was like, oh man. And you I'm still like, do it. I'm them. at
0: 60. Does that count?
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, My number is much higher. <laughs> yeah. Like much just ask, higher.
0: Asking for a friend. If you're at 60, <laughs> is, are we still
2: working with the same recipe? I never want to do it. Okay. How about <laughs> yeah, that?
0: Never. Does never. That, does that mean I can stop? Okay.
2: No? Okay. Great. Well, we are rooting for you this week as we always are. I hope you hear the sincerity in my voice. I really do mean it. We are. We are. We hope if you're listening and you're having a hard time that there's something in here that will be valuable for you. Ashley, anything you want to leave the people with today?
0: Yes, I would love to. I haven't done this one in a while. I am requesting that if you listen to this podcast and you get something out of it, if you would take three minutes, go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review at the bottom and give us a rating and a written review that is podcast currency and we are so, so grateful for your help. Thank you. Thank you so much and we appreciate you listening every every week. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a diverse and supportive recovery community offering weekly over 70 online peer support meetings, useful recovery information, and entertaining content. Whether you're newly sober, have many years in recovery, or you're recovering from something other than drugs and alcohol, we have space for you. Visit www.lionrock.life today and enter promo code courage for one month of unlimited peer support meetings free. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.